0: Well, I know if you were in an 8 o'clock life group, you're thinking, oh my goodness, he's going to do the same lesson in this room that we just did in life group, because we started a new series in James. It's going for the next eight weeks, and it is all on the book of James. And so this morning in life group at 8 o'clock, 9, 15, and 11, our life groups are going through a series that was written by one of our beloved Uh, He was our fourth and fifth grade pastor for quite a few years and now is spending time writing and the Lord is using him. He wrote the curriculum we used last year on Stories of the Bible and he wrote this eight-week series on the book of James entitled Authentic Faith, a study of the book of James. This morning in Life Group, you would be in James chapter 1 verses 1 through 8. So I thought this morning we would start in James chapter 1 verses 1 through 8. So for those of you that are in a life group, you're going to get a little bit extra from the same thing this morning. For those of you that are not in a life group, I would like to invite you to either go to a life group at 11 o'clock and continue this study or come next Sunday and get into a life group and pick up where we're going to leave off on verse 8 right here and continue over the next eight weeks to study the book of James. I love the book of James. Next month will be three years since Pastor preached from this exact text. It was February 14th of 2021, and he preached a message titled, Why God Allows Trials. Why God Allows Trials. Now, I don't know if you do this, but Bellevue has a YouTube page, and on there is all of his sermons. A lot of our worship music is on there, and I would encourage you to spend some time familiarizing yourself on that YouTube page. But I would encourage you to go there and look up that sermon from February 14th, 2021. And I would encourage you to listen to his his message titled, Why God Allows Trials. Because I think it's important that we remember and understand that God does allow trials in our lives and there are reasons for it. Brother Steve said, number one, so we can exhibit a cheerful response. We can exhibit a cheerful response. I don't know if you realize this, but when you walk through a trial, How you respond to that trial is seen by everybody around you, and we can positively impact people where they see our love for the Lord, or we can negatively impact them where they say, you know, they say they're a Christian, but they certainly don't act like it. We are given that opportunity in a trial to exhibit a cheerful response. He said, number two, so we can experience Christ-like results. When we go through trials, God shapes us and he molds us more into his likeness. And so God uses those things in our lives. And thirdly, he said, so we can enjoy our cherished reward. We can enjoy our cherished reward. I would encourage you this week to go back and listen to that message. He preached the message on why God allows trials. This morning, I want us to talk about how to walk through trials. How do we do that? We know that God allows them in our lives, but how are you and I going to walk through them biblically? And I'm thankful that God didn't just wind us up and tell us to figure everything out. He gave us a road map in his word that you and I can go to, and he lays everything out that you and I need for this thing we call life. So we're going to be in James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Here's what it says. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him." But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that, the, that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. First thing I want to do this morning is I want to make a couple observations about trials, and then I want to give us four steps to walk through trials. Look again at verse 2. It says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Here's the first observation I want to make this morning. Even in the midst of a trial, a difficult trial, loss, anything that you're dealing with, joy is possible. Joy is possible. You see, if we are looking for joy in circumstances, if we are looking for joy in things, if we are looking for joy in relationships here on earth, we are going to be let down and that joy is easily removed. But when we place our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and realize that true joy can only come from him, that cannot be removed unless we give it away. We can have joy in the middle of a trial, You know, I, I know a lot of people that walk around discouraged all the time. You see them and you kind of don't want to stop and talk with them because not only are they discouraging, but they kind of suck the life out of the room. But then you know some people that are, they just kind of have the joy of the Lord on their face. You, you probably, somebody's face just popped up in your mind. You probably saw them. And you enjoy talking to them. When your phone rings, you're excited to answer it. Well, I have a friend that's like this. He's the most joyful person I've ever known. He's a Bellevue member, and his name is Paul. And Paul comes to the 11 o'clock service, and Paul is confined to a wheelchair. Paul calls me two or three times a week, and we talk for a couple minutes. And it's always stuff like this. Aren't you excited about Sunday. Can't you wait to hear Brother Steve preach? I hope a bunch of people get saved. In December, it was I'm so excited about the singing Christmas tree. I said, well, what are you most excited about? He said, people are going to get saved. He called me Friday. I was driving, and I said, hey, Paul, how's it going, buddy? And he said, great. I can't wait for Sunday. I can't wait to hear what Brother Steve preaches on. (laughs) I said, well, Paul, I've got some really bad news for you. He said, what is it? I said, Brother Steve's not going to be there. He's going to be in Houston. He said, oh, no. He said, someone else is preaching. I said, yes. He said, who is it? I said, it's me. And there was a pause. And he said, well, we need to pray. People will get saved. So I don't know if was good or bad or not. But he said, I am so excited because on Sunday, somebody's going to get saved. When is the last time you any day of the week, Monday through Saturday, spent time praying in anticipation for Sunday of what God was going to do. You see, my friend Paul has the joy of the Lord all over him. Joy is possible even in the middle of trials. Look at verse 4. I'm sorry, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord always. Not some of the time, not most of the time, not in the good times, not just in the bad times. Rejoice in the Lord always. Joy is possible. Verse 2 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Here's the second observation about trials. Not only is joy possible, trials are inevitable. Now, that is not meant to be an encouragement, that's just the reality. As a matter of fact, Dr. Adrian Rogers, who was the pastor here for many years before Brother Steve, I heard say on many occasions something to this effect. You are either coming out of a storm, you are in the middle of a storm, or you're getting ready to go into a storm. Now, there's really nothing encouraging about that statement, but it is a very true statement. We are surrounded by trials, and God uses those in our lives. This morning, I read in my quiet time my wife and I are going through the Bible recap, and I was up early this morning getting ready to come up here and um, spend some time praying and going through my message, but before I did, I was reading, and I was reading in Job, I think it was chapter 13 through 16, and oh, Job had a lot of questions for God. He was going back and forth, and he had all kinds of trials, all kinds of trials. Not only did he walk through some very difficult things with all of the loss he experienced, he then had some knuckle-headed friends that showed up. And really did nothing for him. So he had some conversation with the Lord. You and I are going to go through trials. Some of you are sitting in this room. And you are in the middle of a trial right now. And you do not know how you're going to make it out. You do not understand what the Lord is trying to do. You don't know which way to turn. We've all been in that spot or we are in that spot. Trials are inevitable. Look at verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Another observation about trials is faith is tested. Knowing that the testing of your faith. God uses trials in our lives to see how we're going to respond. Abraham, in Genesis chapter 22, was up against a major trial. His faith was tested. He and his wife Sarah had waited years to have a baby. They finally do, and now as he's growing, God has called Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And Abraham was faithful to the Lord. He took Isaac up on the mountain, and Isaac had questions. We have the wood, we have the fire, we have the knife, but where is the sacrifice? Abraham did not know what was going to happen, but he said God would provide. Abraham got up on that mountain. He got everything ready. He laid Isaac down. He tied him to it. The Bible says in Genesis 22, he took his knife, and as he got ready to kill his son, the Lord said, stop. Now I know that you fear me. You see, God had no expectation for Abraham to kill Isaac. God wanted to see, was Abraham going to be faithful and obedient to the Lord? When we walk through trials, our faith is tested. The question is, how do we respond? How do you respond? The first message I ever preached was for my father at his church in Alabama. I was, I think, 17 or 18, and it was a Sunday night. My dad said, Now, son, typically when someone preaches their first sermon, it's about five to 10 minutes. They're so nervous, they ramble, they preach everything they know from Genesis to Revelation, and they're done. He told me this about two weeks before I preached, and so I really dug in, and I really prepared. And I was preaching that night, and I was preaching, and I was preaching. If I looked down at my dad, and he was giving me a look, and so I thought, well, I better close it down. It must have, my 10 minutes are up. And I got down, and he said, uh, I said, well, what happened? He said, well, 60 minutes have gone by, and we're having a potluck afterwards, and everything is cold, and you can't, you, you, you can't preach that long. I said, well, I didn't know. You said I would only preach five to ten minutes. The title of that message was, When the tests come, does your testimony go out the door? You see, we're walking through trials. How are we responding? Abraham responded in faith when his faith was tested. Verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Another observation is this, endurance is strengthened. Endurance is strengthened. It's built. It's made. It's refined. When a runner gets ready and makes a decision to run a marathon, I've never run one. I don't plan on ever running one. I have run two half marathons, and they were a disaster. And that was many years ago and about 10 surgeries ago. But I understand, because I know people that run them, that they do not wake up on Monday with no preparation and decide they're going to run a marathon on Saturday. They spend time. And I've got a friend that runs ultra-marathons. He's run like these 50-mile things and 100-mile things. And I talked to him about it, and I'm telling you, everything goes into the planning of the food and his sleep pattern and his exercise and his working out. And he's going to run this many miles on Monday and this many miles on Tuesday. He's going to rest on Wednesday and do some other stuff and and so forth. And it's like a nine-month plan. But as he goes along, his endurance is being built so that when the race day comes... He's ready to run that marathon. See, that was my problem in the half marathons. I didn't train. I didn't realize the importance of it. God takes us through trials and testing to strengthen our endurance. Look at verse five. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now listen, it will be given to him. Not it probably will be given to him, not it might be given to him, it will be given to him. One day I'm gonna preach a series of messages on something like that. Anywhere in the Bible where it says, if you do this, God will do this. The book of Romans, it says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised his son from the dead, you will be saved. I love that promise. Here's another one. When you're in a trial and you don't know where to turn, ask the Lord And it says he will give it to you. But notice that the other observation here is wisdom is needed. You and I need wisdom. And it's fascinating to me that oftentimes we get in the middle of a trial, and the first thing we do is we turn to one of two things, either our education or our experience. We often turn to those two things, our education or our experience. Somewhere along the road, my education has prepared me for such a time as this, or I've experienced something like this before so I know how to handle it. Can I just make a statement? You don't know how to handle it. You have no idea how to handle it because you don't know the reason for the trial you're in. God does. He sees the big picture. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose and you and I need wisdom and by the way, we don't need the wisdom of man. Now, I am all for seeking wise counsel. I'm all for talking to people. I'm all for having mentors and asking questions. I'm all for that. But if we are seeking the wisdom of man and forsaking the wisdom of God, we have missed the boat. We have to, in a trial, press into the Lord. What does he say later in the book of James? If you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. He says if you seek wisdom, he will give it to you generously. Look at verse 6 and 7. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The last observation I want to make is this. Doubt has consequences. Doubt has consequences. He says right here, you are to ask the Lord for wisdom But you need to do it in faith. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes I struggle a little bit with that. Because I know God can do something, but I don't know if He wants to, or I don't know if He will in this situation. And it causes me to doubt. And what happens is I take my eyes off of Jesus and I place it on the circumstance. And I'll pray in doubt sometimes. Doubt has consequences. If you don't believe it, I want you to think for a moment. About Zechariah, remember he and his wife Elizabeth had prayed for a son, for a child. God finally gives them one, John the Baptist. Remember when the angel of the Lord came to him, said, you're going to have a child? He kind of laughed it off. He said, my wife is too old. The angel said, because of your doubt, you will not speak. He, came, he comes out, everybody's asking him, what happened, what happened, what happened? He can't speak, there were consequences for his doubt. I want to say this. God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, with whoever he wants, for whatever reason he wants because he's God. He is seated on the throne, and he is the one we are to look to. Jesus said before he ascended into heaven, "All authority has been given to me." He has all power. And therefore he is the one we can go to. So after these observations, I just kind of want you to tuck those in the back of your mind, and I want you to think about those things as we begin to talk about these four steps of how to walk through trials. Look at verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Now, I think it's interesting that in the New Testament, there are four men named James. There are some people that aren't positive on which James wrote this book. Most theologians, almost all, will agree that James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote this book. I believe that. Our pastor, if you go back and listen to his sermon, believes that as well. I believe he wrote that. Now, you can eliminate two of the James that are talked about in the New Testament because those two guys passed away before this book was even written, so it had to be one of the two. But I I want you to pay attention to this. James does not start off the chapter by saying, James, the half-brother of Jesus. What does he do? He doesn't draw attention to himself. He gives his name, and he immediately points your attention to God and the Lord Jesus Christ. James, a bondservant. Why didn't he say the half-brother of Jesus? Why didn't he say the brother of Jesus? Because James is not concerned about himself. James is concerned about Jesus Christ. I told some of the guys this morning, I was really nervous today. I woke up this morning and I was nervous about preaching this morning. My stomach was in knots and I was having a conversation with the Lord on the way up here and then I was in my office and then I was uh, walking somewhere else and I was just talking to the Lord and I was struggling. I was nervous. And finally, the Lord just said, he said, listen, you're nervous for one reason. It's because you're arrogant. That's what I wanted to hear first thing in the morning. He said, you're nervous because you think this is about you. You're not preaching about you. This is not about you. This is about me. And he will share his glory with no one. James points our attention. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's very interesting that he uses this language of bondservant. If you go back to Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul begins his letter in Romans, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He says the same thing. Now, in the New Testament, that word there is the word dulos, and it means slave or servant. I believe Paul was actually talking more about, there in Romans 1, what a slave or servant was back in Hebrew times, back in the Old Testament. You see, if somebody was a servant, after six years, they could be released from serving. They had served their time but they had a decision to make. They could either leave and go away and be their own person, or they could choose to stay as a servant in that home for the rest of their lives. You say, why would anybody choose to do that? They chose it for a couple of reasons. One, they had been shown such grace and love by the person they were serving, that there was a mutual love and respect for one another, and they made the choice that they wanted to spend the rest of their life serving underneath this person. I think this is exactly what Paul and James are talking about. You and I have the choice to follow Jesus. But here's the deal, once the choice is made, you forfeit your rights to anything you desire, and you say, I follow Jesus, What does he say right here? James says, A servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord meaning boss, you don't get to make a decision anymore. You don't get to live your life how you want to live anymore. You say, Well, that's kind of rough. That's the reality. When you give your life to Jesus, you know, people say, Well, just, you know, if you just ask Jesus in your life, everything will be great, and then you can kind of just live your life and everything's. No, it won't. Because I don't know what God's going to call you to. But I'm going to tell you, I would want it no other way than following Jesus Christ. And so we make that decision to follow him. So how do you walk through this? First of all, just like James does here in verse one, you place your eyes on Jesus. You place your eyes on Jesus. You say, that seems simple. How do you do it? It is very simple. You spend time reading his word. He gave us a love letter. You spend time in here. You spend time praying, you spend time worshiping, you spend time thinking on things above, you spend time meditating on the day, the word both day and night. You place your eyes on Jesus. You take your eyes off the trial and you place them where they should be, on Jesus the one that is over the trial, the one that can lead you through it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not delivered from going into the fiery furnace. They were delivered through the fiery furnace. Daniel was not delivered from being in the lion's den. Daniel was delivered through the lion's den. And God will take you there, But you've got to get your eyes off of the problem. You've got to get your eyes off of the fire. You've got to get your eyes off of the lions, and you've got to place them on Jesus Christ. I love hymns. I know I'm a little old school. Some people don't even know what a hymnal is anymore. But I love hymnals. I've had one hymnal for a long time, and then about 10 years ago, my mother-in-law gave me this one, and when I opened it up, I had forgotten this. It says, Richard Beavers, which was my, my wife's father. He sang in this choir many years ago. This was his hymnal. And this morning, as I was singing a song in my office, and if I was Brother Steve, I would sing it for you. I'm not Brother Steve, so I'm not gonna sing it for you. And that'll bless you, okay? I'm going to read it to you. But it was written by a lady named Helen Limmel, an amazing woman. They tell us that she wrote over 400 hymns and poems. About 1915, Miss Helen went blind. And her husband consequently left her because he did not want to attend to her needs. Talk about a trial. About seven years later, she penned these words O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and a life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Listen to the second. Through death into life everlasting, he passed and we follow him there. Over us, sin no more has dominion, for more than conquerors we are. Turn your eyes Upon Jesus. The first step to walking through a trial is to place your eyes on Jesus. Look at verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Number one, place your eyes on Jesus. Number two, patiently wait on the Lord. Patiently wait on the Lord. As Americans, we like to rush through everything. We are fixers. We are constantly trying to figure out how to make our lives better and get through to the next thing. And so when anything gets hard for us, we just want to quit. We just want to quit. Yesterday, I'm helping coach a 10-year-old basketball game with my son. We're out of school. We're playing this little team. And... This is 10-year-old basketball, so this is real high-level stuff. There was a boy on the other team that was just, just dominating the game. He had 13 of their 14 baskets, 26 of their 28 points. And he fouls out at the beginning of the fourth quarter. They're up eight points. Our little team battled back now that this boy's out, and we tied it up with a minute and 19 seconds to play. The coach of the other team called a timeout, and he told the referee, if you won't let him play, we quit. I looked at one of the other coaches. I said, what is going on? And he starts talking to the referee, and they have a conversation. It kind of goes back and forth, back and forth. Parents are screaming and yelling, let the boys play, let the boys play. And he thought that the referees had called a lopsided game and that they had fouled his his best player out on purpose. He was going back and forth. And you know what it came down to at the very end? They literally shook our hands and walked out with a minute and 19 seconds left on the clock. And I told one of the other coaches, I said, you know, one of the saddest things that happened this morning is that that coach taught those 10-year-old boys that when you don't get your way, you quit. When you don't get your way, you quit. That's what a lot of us want to do in the middle of a trial. You see, we look at that and we say, how terrible is that? But you and I do it all the time. We get in the middle of something and we want to walk away instead of patiently Waiting on the Lord. You think about endurance, it takes time. It takes time to build that endurance up to run that marathon. He's going to take us through multiple trials, and he's going to be refining us and shaping us to be more like him. It's that sanctification process, but you got to have patience. How many of you know that the Lord's timetable and your timetable almost never go at the same time? I'm like, Lord, if you could have done it about two days earlier, it would have been a whole lot better. And the Lord said, i got something you don't even understand about. If you'll just listen and be patient and wait on the Lord. Psalm 37, verse 7 says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his ways, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. He has a plan. Trust him. Trust him. Look again at verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Place your eyes on Jesus patiently. Wait on the Lord. Number three, pray in faith for wisdom. Pray in faith for wisdom. He's already promised you. If you will ask him in faith, he will give you what you need. It's a promise. It's right here. It's written down. It's been here for over 2,000 years. Why would we go anywhere else? We must ask the Lord. We must pray in faith for wisdom. We must pray in faith for wisdom. Place your eyes on Jesus. Patiently wait on the Lord. Pray in faith for wisdom. And then here's the final one, number four. Proceed confidently in obedience. Proceed confidently in obedience. I'm not talking about arrogantly. I'm talking about confidently. There is a difference in physical arrogance and spiritual confidence. Arrogance says, I've got this. Spiritual confidence says, God's got this. And all you have to do when he gives you that wisdom is walk forward in obedience. I was thinking about this word wisdom, and I was thinking about wise people in my life. And I could probably name a bunch. My mom and dad are very wise, and I've seen it all throughout my life. My mother and father-in-law are people that I talk to and ask questions to. They're very wise. I was thinking about people at this church. John Jerkins prayed over me this morning. Wise man that I love to listen to. I was thinking about Brother David Coombs, our administrative pastor, just full of wisdom. I was thinking about all these people that God has placed in my life, that God uses them in my life to speak truth. But I was thinking, you know, probably the wisest person I know, and it's probably not even close, is my wife. A couple months ago, she was having a conversation with my two oldest children, and she had given them a job to do while I was at work, and she was running some errands. What they didn't know was my wife had made some plans that afternoon for our family to get together with another family. And so my wife had told my older two kids, I need these three things done. She didn't tell them why. She just said, I need these three things done. When she got home, one of those things on the list was done, and they did three other things. Now, any time you come home and your kids have swept and mopped the kitchen, you should be thankful because those are few and far between. Anytime you come home and your kids have folded laundry out of the dryer, you just have to praise the Lord, okay? But they had done some things that they weren't asked to do, and they didn't do some things they were asked to do. And my wife sat them down and said, why did you not get these two things done? And they said, well, we thought it would be better if we got these things done and we would surprise you. And she said, but what you didn't understand is we have we are going to meet these people, these two things had to be done in order for us to leave on time. And now that they're not done, we can't go and meet this family. So we're going to have to miss out on that. My kids were bummed. You mean we're not gonna get to go? But we didn't know. If we would have known, we would have. And she said, what, obeyed? She said, listen, and, and listen, since she said this, these words have sunk deep into my soul. She said, there is freedom in obedience. There is freedom in obedience. You see, you and I do not have to understand what the end of the trial is going to be. We do not have to understand what God is trying to do. It is our job to patiently wait on him, and when he gives us that wisdom, to walk forward in obedience. There is freedom in obedience. You ask the Lord for wisdom and he will grant it to you. I thought about this many times as I've heard her say that and we talked about it later on and it has sunk in and I thought about it so much and I thought that's exactly how oftentimes I live my life. I'll say to the Lord, but look at this, this, and this that I did for you. The Lord said, I didn't desire any of those things. I desire for you to listen and to obey. He is a good, good father. He loves you very much. And he knows what is best for you. And the trial that you are walking through or that you just came out of or that you're getting ready to go into that you say is not fair, What is God trying to do? Here's my response to you. I don't know. But what I do know is greater is he than is in me than he that is in the world. He has called us to something higher. He has called us to something better. And he uses trials in our lives to make us more like him. The question is, are we going to biblically walk through that trial Or are we going to try to get through it by ourselves? And I would submit to you there's no greater way to enter, to sustain, or to exit a trial than to follow Jesus Christ. 2023 was a difficult year. Our church experienced loss. We lost people that sat in this room. We lost members. We lost deacons. We lost a staff member. We had many people that had been diagnosed with cancers and sicknesses. When I look at 2023, I think, my goodness, what is God trying to do? What is God trying to do? I don't know what all he's trying to do, but I do know this. We have a big city. And it's a dark city. And there are people all over this city that are watching how each one of you are going to respond to what we walk through here at this church. They're waiting to see if you're going to give praise to the Lord or if, like Job's friend said, just curse him and die. His wife even said that. They're watching to see If you will walk faithfully with your spouse, if you'll walk faithfully with the Lord, if you'll do what you're supposed to do, or if you're gonna walk away. They're watching. And you and I have an incredible opportunity that God has blessed each and every one of us with to walk in the place that He has placed you in, in your jobs, in your neighborhoods, in your places of hobbies. Wherever God has placed you, he's given you the opportunity to be his hands and feet. So the question is, how are you going to walk through the trial that God, listen to me, has allowed you to go through? Paul asked that the Lord would remove that thorn from his side. We still don't even know what that was. He asked him to remove it three times. God never did but yet he rejoiced in the Lord and he used it to point people to Jesus. I don't know what you're walking through today. I don't know what you're gonna walk through tomorrow. I don't know what you're gonna walk through five years from now. But I hope whatever you walk through, you will place your eyes on Jesus. You'll patiently wait on the Lord. You'll pray in faith for wisdom. And when the Lord gives it to you, you'll proceed confidently in obedience.